Hey guys, this is Erin from Roadrun Blonde, and I wanted to tell you about a new feature on ACAST that supports its artists. It's the supporter feature. Listeners to Roadrun Blonde can now donate and support the podcast. However, there's no subscription or commitment. You can just give whenever or whatever you'd like. It's completely up to you. Just find the support the show link in the show description on any episode. You can use Apple Pay or Google Pay, and it takes less than 30 seconds. You can donate anonymously, or you can add a message that I can see. As a podcaster, everything comes directly out of my pocket. I don't get paid to podcast. It's just my passion. So anything is appreciated to keep the show going. Thank you so much, guys. And now on to the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, and welcome to Red Rum Blonde. This is a true crime podcast. Each week, I'll explore a case, the victims, the facts, and the mystery surrounding it. Some are solved, some remain unsolved. I'm your host, Erin Fleming. Hi, welcome to Red Run Blonde. So it's been a couple of weeks, and I'm glad to be back. Uh, There's been a lot going on. Before I get into anything, I want to welcome the newest members to the Red Run Blonde Facebook group because, you know, without you guys, I wouldn't be here. So I want to welcome Kaylee, Aaron, Chuck, Rachel, and my really good friend Riley. And if you're listening, please sign up. Join. We'd be happy to have you. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter, uh, so look for me there. Send me ideas for stories or just post some things if you'd like. So what do I have for you this week? Well, how about the Vatican, a missing girl, tombs with bones, conspiracies, and possible murder. So has this piqued your interest yet? It definitely caught mine. My boyfriend sent me a very interesting article on CNN.com. Was by Hada, Messia, and Lauren said Morehouse. So, this whole thing is currently going on and causing a bit of a buzz in Europe, but I don't think it's big news here in America. Honestly, I hadn't heard of it until he sent me this article. So, this week, I'm going to talk about the disappearance of Emanuela Orlandi. So, let's go back to the summer of 1983 inside the Vatican City. Emanuela Orlandi was 15, the daughter to Ercole and Maria. 
and she and her family lived in the Vatican City because her father worked for the Vatican. Now, as you may know, I was raised as a Baptist in West Virginia, so I don't know a thing about the Vatican City, so I'm going to give you a quick rundown. It's a sovereign state of about a thousand people, and it's ruled by the Pope, of course, and it's usually where the Pope lives. So it was declared a sovereign state in 1929 as part of something called the Lateran Treaty between the Holy See and Italy. So, of course, I was then wondering what the Lateran Treaty and the Holy See were. Well, the Holy See, from my understanding, is the jurisdiction of the Pope. And I guess this treaty was to establish the power that popes have over civil territories. So the Pope has rule over Vatican City, and Italy has its own territory. If you're Catholic and I've got this wrong, just let me know. I seriously don't know a thing about Catholicism. I was raised Baptist, and they pretty much teach you that everyone else is going to hell, including the Catholics, so I don't know anything. Thankfully, when I reached my teenage years, I just refused to go to church anymore with my family, and so that's in my past. Anyway, Vatican City is its own thing, which is pretty interesting. So Emanuela's father worked for Vatican City as an employee, and the family, which included five children, lived inside. Now, for her background and her family's background, I got most of my information on Wikipedia. Emanuela was in her second year of Liceo Scientifico, or high school. The school year had ended at this time, but she was taking flute lessons about three times a week at a place called the Pontifical Institute of Sacred Music. And to get there, she would take the bus. And once she got off the bus, she would walk about 180 meters or 590 feet to get to her class. But on Wednesday, June 22nd, 1983, she was running a bit late, so she asked her older brother, Pietro, for a ride. And this is something that haunts him to this day because he wasn't able to accommodate her. And I really hate hearing stories like this because it's awful enough to lose someone that you love, but to have the sense that you could have prevented it must really eat at you, and I don't think he needs that extra anguish. So Pietro couldn't give her a ride, and she just went about her way. She did make a call home and spoke to one of her sisters, saying that she'd received a job offer by someone at Avon. Now, Avon was pretty huge back in the day, in the 70s and 80s. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, it was a cosmetics company, and they sell things door-to-door. So someone would come to your house and have a catalog, and you would pick what you want out of it. And then your Avon representative would bring it to you in about a week or so, and you would pay them. Right now, in this age of the internet, it's an ancient idea. However, I think they're still around. But back then, this was a really good way for a woman to make some extra money. And it was something I know that a lot of housewives did, and apparently young women like Manuela. When her sister heard about this offer to become an Avon rep, she told Emanuela that she should talk it over with her parents first. We know that she did make it to her music lesson because she spoke about the job offer there with a friend. And then this friend walked with her to the bus stop. Emanuela was last seen getting into a dark-colored BMW. 
So when she didn't come home, her parents called the director of the school. Of course, you know, when teenage girls disappear, the police tell the family that, you know, they'll probably turn up later, that they're probably somewhere out with friends. But in this case, she didn't turn up, and they filed a missing persons report. To help, her family's phone number was also published in the paper, which led to some odd developments. So on June 25th, a 16-year-old guy named Pierre Lugie called to say that he and his fiancée had actually run into Emanuela that day that she disappeared. So he was able to describe her, wearing glasses and carrying a flute. But, you know, I started thinking about it. He probably could have read this in a paper because I'm sure they would have given her description. So I'm not sure what details were published. He also mentioned that she introduced herself as Barbarella, but did say she was selling Avon and had just run away from home. A few days later, another call came in with some very similar details. This caller said he owned a bar near the school and that a young girl came in identifying herself as Barbarella. The conversation was similar. She said she'd run away from home, but she was going to return later for her sister's wedding, which I'm assuming was later that summer. So here's my issue. When any kind of a tip line or phone number is available in a disappearance, there's a lot of false leads, so I'm not sure I'm going to put too much credence into these calls. But there was another interesting development that happened on July 3rd when Pope John Paul II implied that it was a kidnapping. And not long after, another call came, and this time anonymous. The caller said Emanuela was taken by a terrorist group who demanded the release of a guy named Mamet Ali Agha. And he was a member of this far-right ultra-nationalist group called the Grey Wolves. Some really call it a death squad that worked in guerrilla warfare. And Mamet was involved in the attempted assassination of Pope John Paul II in 1980. He managed to shoot the Pope four times, hitting him in the intestine, hand, and arms, And he was also responsible for the murder of a journalist. So another call was received from a man calling himself the American. He reportedly played a recording of Emanuela's voice. And then he called again, trying to arrange a deal for her return in exchange for Mamet's release. So this American also said the previous callers who mentioned Emanuela calling herself Barbarella were part of his organization. Now, at this point, this doesn't sound as far-fetched. It's very possible that someone would kidnap a citizen of Vatican City in the hopes of a release of an imprisoned terrorist. So progression was made around July 8th, when yet another phone call came in. And in an attempt for an exchange, the caller suggested a rough timeline of about 20 days. They asked for a direct phone line to the Secretary of State at the time, Agostino Casaroli. Now, we know that this was taken seriously because the phone line was installed. Apparently, several phone calls were made to the line from this reported American. But nothing ever came of it. Mamet Akka gave an interview in prison And he said Emanuela was alive and safe and living in a convent. And there is a judge who supports this theory. In the mid-2000s, he theorized that she was living in Paris. 
Aka claimed in 2006 that Emanuela and another missing girl, Morella Gregory, who disappeared that same year, were both taken in the hopes of securing his release. Morella was 15 at the time of her disappearance, and she was last seen by her mother, leaving home to meet up with a friend from school. And here's an interesting tidbit. Her mother recognized a man in the Pope's escort as one who had picked up her daughter previously at their home. This is interesting because Anka claimed in 2010 that the Vatican organized the assassination attempt on Pope John Paul II and that Emanuela was kept as a prisoner by the Vatican. And then he reiterated this claim that she was living in a convent. But this is just one theory that's out there of what might have happened to the teenager. So before I get into the other theories, here's what's currently going on. Emanuela's brother and mother still live in Vatican City. And this past summer, the family's lawyer received an anonymous tip that they should, quote, seek where the angel indicates. So you have to love this Da Vinci Code stuff. This clue led to a Teutonic cemetery by St. Peter's Basilica, where there's an angel statue that is pointing. So plans were made to open up these tombs. And this Teutonic cemetery is behind the walls of the basilica. I guess it was the original site of the Circus of Emperor Nero. And from what I read, it normally houses remains of German-speaking Catholic members, and it's protected by a member of the Swiss Guard. Okay, so let's get into some of these other theories, because they all are pretty interesting. There's one claim by an exorcist, yes, you heard me right, an exorcist, Gabriel Amorth, that Emanuela was taken for sex parties. These parties involved very high-ranking officials and the Vatican police. Now, this guy claims to have performed something over 30,000 exorcisms, so I'm going to take his word with a grain of salt. He also thought that yoga and Harry Potter were slippery slopes into becoming possessed, so he expressed views that Hitler and Stalin were Satanists, so I don't really know about this guy. The most widely believed theory is that it had to do with the mafia. The theory is that a crime organization called Banda della Magliana lent large sums of money to the Vatican Bank and that they kidnapped Emanuela to get it back. Now, this is a very violent group, and they have ties to the Cosa Nostra. And if you've listened to my episode on John Paul Getty III, you'll remember the Drangata. And this was all done through Roberto Calvi's Banco Ambrosiano. Calvi was nicknamed God's Banker for all the work that he'd done with the Holy See. But he had a very shady death in 1982. There was this huge bank scandal involving illegally exporting money, and Calvi tried to flee the country. And he ended up going missing, but was later found in London with his body hanging from a scaffold beneath Blackfriars Bridge, his clothing stuffed with bricks, and over $15,000 in cash on him. Now, on this guy's death, there are a lot of conspiracy theories that it was murder and involved the Masonic Lodge, but really, that's a whole other story. In 2005, another anonymous call came into an Italian TV show, and this one said that the tomb of gangster Enrico de Pettis had evidence that would help in the disappearance of Emanuela. 
In the CNN article that I read, it said the tip came anonymously to an Italian detective. So regardless of whether it was a TV show or anything else, the kidnapping had come on the orders of the vicar of Rome at the time, a guy named Cardinal Ugo Poletti. A few years after that, a former girlfriend of De Pettis said he confessed to her to the involvement in the kidnapping. Now, De Pettis was a very major figure in the Banda della Magliana, and he did very well for himself investing his money into businesses and restaurants. But in 1990, he was gunned down and oddly buried at the Basilica in Rome. Many people, of course, questioned why he was buried there. Another member of the Banda della Magliana said it was because he was implemental and helping stop some of the actions the gang was making against the Vatican. So there's a very informative article that I also read by Nick Pisa and the Scotsman that shed some light onto the claims that De Pettis' girlfriend said that he kidnapped Emanuela. The head of the Vatican Bank at the time of Calvi's suspicious death was Monsignor Paul Marcinkus. Sabrina Minardi, this former girlfriend, claimed that the kidnapping came under the orders of Marcinkus and was done to, quote, send a message to someone. And according to a documentary about Emanuela's disappearance, Minardi said Emanuela's father had seen some very compromising documents, which is what got her kidnapped and killed, her body being thrown into a cement mixer. So let's get into some of the background on this Monsignor. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Senior. Marcinkus was president of the Vatican Bank from 1971 to 1989. And early into his role, he was questioned about some shady business. In 1973, an arm of the U.S. Department of Justice for Organized Crime and Racketeering questioned what he might have to do with some possible counterfeit bonds that were delivered to the Vatican. And then in 1982, Banco Ambrosio collapsed. And this all goes back to Roberto Calvi, 
the Ambrosiano's chairman, who was found dead and hanging from the scaffold. This once again brought rumors of the Masonic Lodge, which was called Propaganda Do. The Lodge allegedly had members in Parliament, including Berlusconi, I'm probably saying his name wrong, who eventually became the Prime Minister. And I know about him because my boyfriend goes on and on about how horrible this man is. And according to Wikipedia, this group was really a shadow government. So we're talking about very powerful, influential people. Marcinkus was also linked to Michelle the Shark Sedona, a banker who was tied to organized crime. So we have the scandal involving Roberto Calvi. And then there was a very suspicious death of a journalist who'd been investigating the ties of the mafia to the bank. Carmine Mino Percorelli was gunned down on March 20th, 1979 in Rome. The main story he was working on involved was the kidnapping and death of former Prime Minister Aldo Moro, which was just the year before. And supposedly, Pecorelli was a member of Propaganda Do, this weird Masonic group. When he was murdered, it was found that the bullets that killed him were pretty rare. And these same kind of bullets were the kind used by the Banda della Magliano. Now remember, Enrico de Pettis was head of the Banda della Magliano. And his girlfriend claimed that Manuela was dead and that her body was buried on a property right outside of Rome. This was investigated, but the foundation had been laid before Manuela disappeared, so they ruled this out. In 2014, a former member of the mafia, Vincenzo Calcari, wrote to Pope Francis asking to confess three important secrets, one of which he said was the disappearance of Manuela. He said in his letter, The truth on this incident has been kept hidden for years, because to reveal it would be like opening a box and bringing to light truth so weighty to throw into crisis a system that links the Vatican with other deviant entities. And those deviant entities were Cosa Nostra, Nagandrada, and the Masons. But the crazy thing is, I couldn't find out any more information about whether he confessed anything to the Pope or any other kind of developments with that. Now, on July 11th, two tombs were exhumed. These tombs were supposed to contain the bones of two German princesses. These tombs were supposed to contain the bones of two German princesses, Princess Sophie von Holland Law. <laughs> I'm definitely not saying that right who died in 1836, and Princess Carlotta Federica of Mecklenburg, who died in 1840. Now, I say supposed because their bones were not found in these tombs. The Vatican tried to explain that away by saying the bones could have been moved due to work done at the cemetery in the 60s and 70s, which I'll give them that. A hidden area was found underneath a stone slab near the tombs of the German princesses. And so they opened that up on July 20th. Renowned forensic anthropologist Giovanni Arcudi is in charge of the exhumation. So far, 24 bags of bones have been examined. But I guess these bones were found to be too old to be that of Manuela. The remains, in fact, date back to the early 1800s. So Arcudi has rejected a request from the Orlando family to do more laboratory testing on the bones found at the cemetery. 
He just thinks it would be a waste of time. They found the bones to also be too old to be hers. But it's all very disappointing to her family, particularly her brother, who really wants to find some answers. The bones have all supposedly been cataloged and held by the Vatican police and will be, quote, available to the promoter of justice. It seems like this just kept opening up more rabbit holes. So now we have two missing girls and missing bones of German princesses. So what really could have happened to Emmanuel or Landy? I think the theory of the exorcist is the least likely one. It's not out of the realm of possibility, of course, because there are a ton of sex crimes related to the Catholic Church, which get covered up every day. And my doubt isn't based on anything other than a feeling, and probably that I'm skeptical of an exorcist. The theory that she's still alive and that her family can see her at any time, which is out there, but she can't leave the convent, that one sounds really unlikely. Her brother, Pietro, is very vocal and upfront about looking for her, so I doubt he would go through this crazy elaborate ruse of trying to get these bones analyzed if that were the case. I also can't see shady people deciding to take care of someone for that long. I think whoever involved would have just done away with her. I mean, think about it. She could escape or tell someone her story, so why would they keep her alive in a convent? That theory to me doesn't make sense. I think it's more likely that she was kidnapped as this vendetta or to send this message to someone relating to the shadiness of the bank, the Vatican, and the mafia. If these same people were bold enough to try to assassinate a pope, I really doubt they'd have any qualms about kidnapping a young girl. I think very likely she's dead. And, you know, obviously her family probably thinks so too since they want these bones analyzed. In an article in the Toronto Star, there was a mass held in 2013 in which Pope Francis stood at the exit of the church and apparently greeted everyone who left. When he came upon Pietro and his mother... He greeted them both with the words, Manuela is in heaven. So Pietro replied with, until there's proof to the contrary, I hope she's still alive. And I hope that you will help me find the truth. And the Pope just responded with, she's in heaven. So the same article mentioned another theory that she was kidnapped by the Soviets so that it would force John Paul II to end his support for Poland's dissident solidarity union movement. Pietro lives with his wife and six children near the corner of the road that leads to St. Peter's Square. And he talked about the ridiculous rumor that his sister was alive and masquerading as his wife. Yes, this is an actual rumor that's going around. Roman photographer Roberto Hidalgo apparently followed him and his family for months, going so far as to wrapping tape around her fingers and stumbling into his mother to get a hair sample for a DNA test. In addition to that, and this is really gross, she rummaged through his garbage and took some of his wife's used tampons. The woman was adamant about her theory, but he simply said, nothing surprises me anymore. Pietro remembers his sister as full of joy. He cleared up what his father did for a living because I read different accounts and that was kind of murky. I guess he worked in the office that scheduled meetings with the Pope. The day she disappeared, she spent the afternoon buying ingredients for pizza that the family was going to have for dinner. And then she headed off to the music lesson. 
after her brother said that he couldn't give her a ride. He said she was wearing a white t-shirt, overalls, and tennis shoes. So after she got off the bus, she was seen talking to a young man in a green BMW, and this was witnessed by a policeman. She went to her lesson, calling home at one point, and during that call, she told her sister about a man offering around $200 for her to hand out Avon books at a fashion show later that weekend. She was to meet up with another one of her sisters around 7.30, but she never showed up. And in the same article, I read a very interesting fact. A few months before Emanuela disappeared, a friend of hers, Raffaello Gugel, said that she was being followed. Her father worked for the Pope as his butler. And I guess she told the police after the Pope was shot that there was talk of a possible kidnapping in the works. Raffaella saw the same man follow her many times as she rode the bus to school. Her father was so paranoid about this that he ended up transferring her to another school. And the Gugels and the Orlandis lived in the same building. And all this is corroborated by Emanuela's friends who said that they saw her being followed too. Now, according to this theory, two days after Emanuela disappeared, two Italian intelligence agents showed up at her house. One was named Inspector Gangi. So he followed up every lead on the story, especially this green BMW. And he actually found a mechanic who had just fixed a broken window on one. He traced the work order to an apartment that was very near the Vatican. And there he found a really angry woman who refused to speak to him and just kicked him out of there. And then his boss told him not to return. Then he was taken off the case and given a desk job. It's all pretty strange. The same story reiterated the idea that two men who called her Barbarella were probably involved in her disappearance. When the Pope first publicly spoke about Manuela, he said he hoped for a sense of humanity of those responsible for this matter, and he asked for a, quote, speedy return for the teen. So this was the first time it was suggested that this was a kidnapping, so it really makes you wonder, did the Pope know something everyone else didn't? The ties to Ali Aga were brought up, and the ties to the disappearance of Morella Gregory, too. The Pope apparently visited the Orlando family around Christmas time. And at that time, he said the kidnapping was international terrorism. So this then goes in the direction that she was kidnapped by the Soviet KGB to make it look like Islamic terrorists. It all has to do with the Pope's support of the labor movement in Poland. Aka has been really wishy-washy on his story. First he said it was the Soviets and then the Vatican, so we really can't rely on him for an accurate story. In the end, Pietro thinks the Pope knew what happened to his sister and he helped cover it up. And their father died not knowing what happened to his daughter. For years, his mother set up a plate at the table for her missing daughter. They talked about grieving and not having a place to lay flowers for her. It's such a simple thing that you don't even realize that can actually cause more pain for a family. So that was the disappearance of Emmanuel Orlandi. It's going to be really interesting to follow any developments, if there are any. I wonder if they'll ever find the missing bones of these princesses or identify all the bones in that bag. 
I doubt they'll find Emanuela or Marilla or if there was a connection. So I definitely want to give special thanks to my boyfriend for showing me the one article on this because I definitely wouldn't have come up for that on my own. And as I said at the beginning, you know, sorry for the absence. It's been a crazy couple of weeks. And speaking of my boyfriend, he just became an American citizen, which was pretty exciting. And the ceremony was very sweet. It was really touching to see so many people become U.S. citizens. And other big news, I got a new job, so I'm going to be leaving the world of retail, which I've been in for many, many years. And it kind of feels like a weight's been lifted off my shoulders. I won't start until mid-September, but I'm thrilled because it's a really good thing. Work was getting really stressful, and I've been very depressed. I've been working all these overnights, and it messed up my sleep. And you know if I haven't recorded in a while that depression is usually the case. But things are turning around for the better, and it really gives me hope. So hopefully, too, then I can get on a better schedule with recording the podcast. So I'm just glad to be back recording, and thank you for your patience if you listen. And as always, thanks for listening, and catch you guys next week. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.